today we're, we're going to bring to a close the series that we've been in called Undefeated. And I really hope that in some way this series has helped you to feel like, you know what, I, I think, I believe, I'm starting to really live as though we do have the victory in Christ Jesus. Um, I've heard some testimony from some believers who have said, you know what, this has helped me so much in my wrestling with, with my flesh and my sin to know that I can have the victory in Jesus. And so our banner verse has been 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, that says this, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And my goal is that you will see this victory in your everyday life. Our big idea has been that it's time to start living out our God-given, Christ-enabled, Spirit-empowered, victorious life. And so we've spent the last five weeks and today, the sixth week, looking at how we do that. And if you've missed any of them, they're all available online, albanync.org, or you can follow us uh, through podcasting on iTunes, or if you have downloaded that new church app that we have, the Neighborhood Church app that's powered by Share Faith, you can also listen to messages through that app on your smart device as well. But today, I want to say uh, or, or, or focus our last week on, okay, it's great. I, I believe that we have the victory. I, last week, we learned that we don't fight for victory. We, we fight from victory, right? We have the victory already established. But how do I bring that, Kelly, into my everyday life? I mean, I, I love the fact that God is, is the victorious and the cross set it all for us. It established the permanency of Christ's forgiveness over our sin. But how do I do that now, and how do I do that tomorrow, and how do I live that way in the future? And we've looked at a few things to help, but today we're going to answer how we actually can bring that into our practical everyday life, because there is power that we have to live victorious. Speaking of power, have you ever noticed that how, as a society right now especially, we're kind of intrigued with the origin story of superheroes, some of you, if you were to admit it, you went to a movie that had to do with the origin story of a superhero. You might have watched something about Spider-Man, or you might have went and watched something about the Avengers, or one of the Avengers, and, and it's really popular right now to follow their origin story. Because what used to be like, you either had to know the story, or they covered it like in the intro to the movie, and then all of a sudden it was the story. Now they've taken entire movies around how this individual got their superpowers. I mean, the question is, why are we intrigued about a nerdy kid who gets bitten by a radioactive spider, right? Or why are we intrigued by this army wannabe who got rejected by the army recruits because he was too little, and so he takes this top secret serum to give him superhuman strength? Or, or why are we intrigued about the story of a kid who loses his billionaire parents to the villains who killed them, and now takes the rest of his life to use his wit and his wealth to eradicate evil in the streets of Gotham, right? I mean, why are we so intrigued by these? Here's why I think we're intrigued by these stories. Because in these origin stories, we see the, the exact moment when this kid or this woman who was just before that an everyday average, just like us kind of person, right? And we see that moment when they got some source of power, that enabled them to become superhuman, to become faster, stronger, smarter, whatever. And there's something within of it. I mean, be honest, when you were a kid, you played superhero in some way, right? I mean, Superman's been around a long time. So all of us in the room, at some point, we've pretended to be. 
Because we're just intrigued by this idea that is it possible that average me can become something better? And we're, we're just intrigued by these stories of the average person who overcomes the odds, gets this power through some kind of a transforming effect, and then becomes the victor. It's the story of the defeated who gets endued with power and now becomes the undefeated. But here's the thing. If I told you that you had all the power you need right now to live a victorious Christian life within you, would you believe me? Because a lot of Christians don't. They, they, don't, they think that I, I got to get better to get the power. What if I just told you right now that in you, already as followers of Jesus, there is all the power you need to live a victorious life? And so today, as we close this series, I want to focus in on the last part of our big idea, and that is that we can actually live this spirit-empowered, victorious life, because all of us have received power, not through a radioactive spider or some kind of hazardous waste spill or some other means, not some shot of a top-secret serum, but we have received power to live victorious lives. And I want to talk today about that resource, the Holy Spirit power that lives within us as believers in Jesus Christ. So grab your Bibles or grab your smart devices. If you want to follow along, you can use the Bible app like always. You can just use that YouVersion Bible app. Find us under events. You'll see us there. You can also use the uh, Share Faith app, Neighborhood Church, that I've talked about. Our notes are already loaded there for you as well. But Jesus stresses the believer's need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me, get, let me tell you how it worked. Jesus, you know, he had already gone to the cross. He had died and he rose again. And in between his resurrection and his ascension, there was a period of 40 days. And in that time frame, he visited with his disciples several times. And when he was with them, he would tell them, here's the deal. Don't leave this city. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've received power from on high. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 says it this way. He says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I love this illustration of clothed with power. You know why? Because it reminds me of being that kid who gets that everyday ordinary house blanket, wraps it around his shoulders, ties a knot, and all of a sudden is transformed into Superman or, or whichever caped wonder we want to be. And I love this idea of being clothed with power because it is something that, that, that there is a reality to it. There is something that says it is a daily experience. Just recently, as we have moved to a new home, we, we went through all of Chad's costumes. My, my son, who's eight, he's got Spider-Man, Captain America, Batman, Iron Man. And we kind of went through and, unfortunately for him, cleared out some of his costumes and they went to the garage a sale pile. Um, but it was fun to watch him and his friends. They'd come over and they'd put these costumes on and what you thought was Chad, no, no longer Chad. Now it was either Spider-Man or Superman and they'd run around the house, they'd get in fights, they'd do stuff that boys do when they're that age because there was something about clothing himself in that costume that gave him this sense of reality that he is now this hero. I remember Jameson, my oldest boy, when he was just a little guy, I'm thinking maybe four years old, we, we got him his first 
or somebody got him his first Batman costume. And this was one of those costumes that, that had kind of like the preformed muscles. You know, it was all like he had ripped abs and he had this, he's, you know, big pecs and all this. And he was standing, he, he put this costume on. And we got him on video. It's, I should have brought the clip to show you. It's so cute because he's, he's standing in front of the TV. Because how many of you remembered the TV being your mirror when you were a kid, right? That's what you stood in front of. And he stood in front of the TV and he's like, turning around, looking at himself. And he's got this, just this Jameson smile on his face because he's so excited because now he is Batman. And he jumps around on the couch and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's endued with power. He's, he's clothed with some sense of power. That's why Jesus said, hey, don't leave the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Again, Jesus says this to his followers. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit further in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see happening here is Jesus is saying, don't leave. Don't enter this next phase of your existence without receiving this power. Why? Because to live as Christ intends us to live, we need to be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I know to be true. Jesus intends for you and for me to live victorious lives. If he didn't, he would have never gone to the cross. He would have never defeated sin on that cross. He would have never said, hey, I'm going to leave, but the Father has a gift for you called the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you will be clothed with power. So what we understand about the Holy Spirit and the reason Jesus said it was important is that it gives us the power to live the way Christ intends for us to live in victory. But here's the deal. To experience the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road in our Christian existence. We like the idea of power. We read verses like this and go, man, I, I wish that was true for me. But the reality is, it is, can be true for you. It's a matter of influence. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Let me just pause there. What's he talking about? He's not just getting on a soapbox about alcoholism. Okay, this is wrapped in a context of something that he's talking about, but he's making an illustration. And here's his point. When you drink too much wine, you get drunk. And in essence, what's happening is we also call this drunkenness being under the what? Under the influence. Now that you have become under the influence of this substance, it leads to things. Now, most of you know that if you've ever been in that state where you became under the influence of something, maybe it was a, a alcohol or a drug or whatever, and when you became under the influence of that, it led you to do stuff. Usually, it wasn't very uplifting citizen-like activities either. And he says what happens, don't become drunk with wine, don't become under the influence of this substance because it does this, it leads to debauchery. 
Now, what is that? Debauchery is a sense of, of out of control. And you ask people, well, why did you do that? I don't know. Right? They don't know. They're just, there's a sense of, they just don't have their faculties about them. They don't know because they have, they have been under the influence, something that leads to a sense of a loss of control. Okay? But then he finishes his thought with this. So he's paralleling drunkenness with something, and it's this. Instead, okay, so don't do this, but instead do this. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by this? We know that drunkenness implies you're under the influence of alcohol and it leads to debauchery, but he says instead be filled with. Now, this is different. Filled is that same word used in the Greek that talks about what we experience when we are filled with rage, when we are filled with anger, when we are filled with sorrow. You've been there before, right? You've had those overwhelming emotions, and those emotions do feel like they overcome you, and they motivate you to an action, right? So what he's saying is that same word that we all understand that, that when we get those strong emotions, they, they motivate us in a certain way. He's saying be filled, but with the Spirit, Because the Spirit, his point is, the Spirit will become for us as followers of Jesus a controlling influence that will motivate and direct our lives. So those of us who are called Christians should be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it fills our lives and directs and guides us into living as Christ intends for us to live. And what Paul does is he emphasizes that Christians are to be continually filled with God's Spirit. Some of you look back to the day you were saved, but you haven't given thought to the Holy Spirit since that moment. Some of you, as you're, we're a Pentecostal church, some of you look back to the day when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit and you felt this renewed energy and strength, but you look back at it as though it was a past tense event. When Paul's point is, We're to be continually experiencing the work of the Spirit of God within us that guides us, that directs us, that empowers us. In fact, he shows us that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit basically implies the idea that, that we are progressing through life. In fact, some translations you have might say, live by the Spirit. The whole point is this is progress, this is motion, and we're to live under the leadership and the leading of the Holy Spirit as we live out this life, and when we do, we will not gratify the sinful nature or the desires of the flesh. Now, here's the point, though, that I've, I've discovered in, in, in meeting different Christians, especially new believers. When you tell somebody, you know what, you have got within you the power of the Holy Spirit to live victoriously, they go, no, I don't, not me. You don't know me, Kelly. I mean, I fail, I struggle, I, you know, maybe one day I'll get good enough to have that kind of Holy Spirit empowered, filled moment. But right now I'm just a mess. And I just got to say that that is not a proper way to think about this idea of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is not given to those who have it all together spiritually. Okay, it's not a merit pin. Oh, good job. Here you go. Rather, he is given to enable them to get it together spiritually. 
So I want you to notice, because there's an important sequence in Galatians 5. Remember, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify. That, that order is very important, because Christians get this mixed up, and they say, well, if, if I start ignoring the work of the flesh, then maybe I'll walk in the Spirit. And that's kind of backwards. He's saying, no, 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 friends. The Spirit of God is within you. And if you begin to live under the the control and the leadership of the Spirit, then these things, these fleshly desires, begin to become quieter at work in our life. And we don't feel like we have to satisfy those because now we're walking in the Spirit. So the Spirit is given to enable us to break sin's power. It's something that we will discover further as we get into the, the main text for today. So if someone is saying things like this, I mean, imagine someone saying this one, I, I'm just not good enough to be saved. Maybe you've got somebody in the family or a friend of yours who felt like, you know what, I'm just not good enough to be saved. I, I've blown it way too many times. You ever, maybe you've wrestled with that. I'm not good enough to be saved. How many of you know you're never going to be good enough to be saved? Okay, you're not. You're just, you cannot get to that point. What happens? God's grace, his love, his mercy accepts you in the brokenness of where you are, and you are forgiven because of what Christ had done. We all can kind of get that because we recognize I was a mess, but Jesus still loved me, and God still accepted me, and because of the cross, I was accepted. So why would we then apply that same kind of thinking to spirit-filled living? Why would we think, well, maybe when I get good enough as a Christian, I'll experience that. Friends, Jesus died and rose again. We're forgiven of our sin. When he went to the Father, we were given the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When you became a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and lived in, and lives inside of you. Paul says we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So right now within you, the Spirit of God lives in us as followers of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has a very special purpose There's lots of things the Holy Spirit will do in our life as we yield to him. But one of those primary things is to break the power of sin that is over our life. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. And I pray, he's praying for the church at Ephesus as much as he would pray for us today if if we were that church. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now what he's affirming is what's already there. I pray that, you, that he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. In other words, I pray you'd wake up to the reality of what is already there and tap into that strength. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says it this way, For the Spirit of God, or the Spirit God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So what I want you to see about the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament especially, and we can see it kind of applied in the Old Testament as well, is where the Spirit of God is at work in a person's life, there is power. And it's not just like the force, all right? The words that are used are like, is dunamis. That's the word that's used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Dunamis sounds very familiar to us because that is how we have established our English word, dynamite, is off of that same sense of power. So it's not some little mediocre thing. It is supernatural power within us, the power of God within us. And here's the thing. To live undefeated lives, we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We're going to come back to that point again, but to, to live undefeated lives, that, which we all want to do. I'm tired of being defeated by sin, right? That's what I hear a lot of Christians say. I'm so tired of the cycle. So to live undefeated lives, we need to live then in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to bring you to something we can all relate to in Paul's life. And he writes about it in Romans. And we think about Paul, we kind of hold him up here real high as this, this spiritual leader, this missionary. I mean, he, he's like God's favorite man. But we get a unique glimpse into the life of Paul. And he shares with us something that is interesting. Now, some say it's not really about Paul. He's making up a character. But I think there's Paulishness in this, all right? So Romans chapter 7, we're going to take a look at what we all can totally relate to. But the good news is Romans 7 doesn't end at Romans 7. The concept he begins in Romans 7 continues into Romans chapter 8. And we've got to kind of read this section together. So get ready. We're going to dive into Scripture here. We're going to kind of comment through it and then get you out of here. But Romans chapter 7, verse 14. What Paul has been talking about is the, 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 rule, the, 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 the role, I should say, that the law plays in the life of a believer. Sometimes we wonder... You know, if Jesus came to save us, why do we need the law, right? So he's taken some time to talk about that. But here's where he moves his argument toward. He says in verse 14, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can anybody relate to that, right? There's, I, I know that there's good I should do, I don't do it. But what I do is what I hate, okay? And he, he's talking about that. We, we can all relate to that. Verse 16, but I know that what I am doing is wrong. And this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, what he's talking about here is the sinful nature that we all feel, Okay. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. When they asserted their will in conflict to God's will, sin entered the heart of mankind. It's been passed down to us. But what Paul's point here isn't we just blame it on our sin and say, I'm a good person. It's just a sin within me that's really bad. And so really, it should just be okay that I keep sinning. That isn't his point. In fact, he's going to establish that. That's why we can't stop at Romans 7. But we have to keep moving forward. So verse... um, 18, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. Sort of. Let's keep that thought in in motion. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. And some of you, this is your story. You love God. You want to do right. You know what is right. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So he talks about a power. Interesting that he's... Pay attention to that because he's going to come back to another power source. He says, right now, there's a power that's at work within me. And you have felt this power. It's called the power of sin. You've felt it. You've yielded to it just as I have. And he comes to verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. Because there's this war going on inside of me. I want to do right, but I don't. Instead, I do the wrong. And there's this war, oh, miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? 
verse 25, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I like the way the NIV translation says it. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. But he goes on, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So what's he talking about? There are two things that are going on inside of his life, and you have felt these too. This wrestling of two power sources, the power of sin and the power of the Spirit. And now he's going to move. So that's why we don't stop our Bible reading at Acts chapter, or sorry, Romans chapter 7 and end it there. We go into the next chapter, Romans 8. So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, now listen to this part. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Did anybody hear what he just said? There is a power, power of sin, it's there, but the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. Verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Remember the law, all it could do is tell you, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. All the law could do was say, here's the law, and we're never going to get it right. It can't correct us, it just tells us what's wrong. So the law had a certain powerlessness. So what God did, what the law could not do. He sent his own son on a body like the bodies we have, and in that body he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And here's his point about these two powers within us. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now here's what he's doing. He's showing us in this passage that we're dominated by one of two powers. There's the power of sin or there's the power of the life-giving spirit. And here's the thing. Our lifestyle, our daily choices, reveal which influence we are under. So if you look back over your past week, and you look at your decisions, you look at the way that you've lived, and you don't like what you see, you have to recognize you were under the influence of something, okay? Because believe it or not, as much as you want to think you're a self-led person, you are under the influence of something. Even in this moment, you are under the influence of something. And what Paul's main point is, as followers of Jesus, we're either going to be obedient to the work of the Spirit within us, the life-giving Spirit, or we're going to yield continually to the power of sin. But there are two powers at work, and your mindset ultimately determines where you're going to go. And we've already talked about that, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. Go back to two weeks ago, where we talked about mind your mind, and he, it, we, we dig a bit deeper into that. But the whole point is, we have a choice. We have a role that as believers we play. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come over and overpower us and 
push us out of the driver's seat and automatically control our lives. The truth is the power is within you, but it is in operation in tandem with us. That's what he talks about now in verse 9 as we finish the reading in in Romans 8. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature, Paul says. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, which we're all going to experience unless the Lord comes and raptures us home, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Sometimes we just got to Pause and think on that one for a minute. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same living spirit living within you. Now listen to this. He's coming to the close of his idea here. you got to hear this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. But I couldn't, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Here's what Paul does. He puts the responsibility right squarely on your shoulders. The Holy Spirit is there. He makes it clear that we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh, but we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would flesh put to death flesh, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. They have the same purpose, to indulge ourselves. And so you can't stop the things you don't like doing with your own willpower. Because the reality is what you've done, you willed yourself to. And so if you're going to think you're going to use your wit and your will to stop the flesh, when that's what you keep doing, it's an endless cycle and you're going to get stuck there. His point is, we have a choice to make, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, but we don't do it by the flesh. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. So apart from the power of the Spirit, working through the inner man, there is no victory over the flesh, but the power is there. It's inside of you, but it's only released when you're under the Spirit's control. So Paul makes it clear, we're not under the obligation of the flesh, but we do have a new obligation, friends. He says, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you live in an apartment complex, and it's run down, it's filthy, it's dirty. The landlord knows there's things to do, but refuses to do it. In fact, what he keeps doing is just jacking up your rent. I mean, just imagine that for a minute, okay? And, and he threatens you. As soon as the due date's there, he comes and threatens you, knocks on your door, demands payment. And you're like, I'm not going to pay. You're not providing for, you know, and he keeps demanding and wants to, he wants to sue you for the, these losses. Okay, so that terrible place to be, terrible place to live. And if you live in that kind of apartment complex, it's time to move. But let's imagine now a different story. Let's imagine that a new owner buys out that apartment complex. The new owner fixes it up. He paints, he gets new, new uh, furniture, new flooring, new everything. It's a great place to live. And he promises to keep the rent the same. And so you're like, wonderful. And you're living in this new place and you're loving it. And you hear a knock at the door. And the knock at the door is your old landlord. 
the old owner. And he's coming to you saying, you owe me additional rent above what you're paying right now. What would you tell that landlord? I have no obligation to pay you. I'm under new ownership. This place is under new ownership. So here's what happens to us as Christians. We're under new ownership. The Bible says the power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. But guess what happens? The flesh keeps knocking at the door and says, you need to do what feels good for you. You need to indulge the sinful nature. You need to gratify the lusts of your flesh. And what you need to learn how to say is, no, I don't. I have no obligation to the flesh because the Spirit of God lives within me. And that is the truth Paul's trying to to help us understand. We as believers need to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and then exercise it. The problem is a lot of us, we have automatically worn pathways that lead to satisfying the flesh. And so it's easy to move that direction. And while we're continuing to ignore the Spirit of God and we feed the flesh, what happens to the Spirit power within you? It's quieter and softer. But when we instead choose to put a gate on that pathway and say, not going down that road anymore, and we begin to listen and heed to the voice of the Spirit within us that says, I have power for you. You have no obligation to the flesh, but you can live by the Spirit. You can walk by the Spirit, and you can then grow as a spirit person stronger and stronger in the power that I have for you. See, what good is a superhero if he uses all of his own superpowers to his own selfish end? Who wants to watch that kind of movie, right? Who wants to watch a superhero use his strength to indulge his own self? Nobody does. Why? Because we like the story of the hero who gets the power and defeats the bad guy, right? That's the kind of stuff we love. So here's the question. Why would God give us this great power if all we're going to do is keep ignoring it and indulge our own life? See, we want oftentimes an easier solution. We want the Holy Spirit just to take the driver's seat and take over. But we work in tandem with the work of the Spirit within us. He's the power. We're the willing party. And we yield to the reality of what is at work within us. So being full of the Holy Spirit is equal to being full of power. Every time you see in the Old Testament and New Testament the Holy Spirit, there is a a reference to power, either as the title, power, or in what is happening by the work of the Spirit. So to live undefeated lives, we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? It's a mindset each day. Lord, I'm not under obligation to live by the flesh. I can say no when temptation comes knocking because I am not obligated to yield to that. Instead, I'm going to honor the power of God within me And when I begin to exercise that direction, guess what happens to the lust and the pull of the flesh? It becomes weaker. And some of you are going, man, I wish that was a reality. It sounds like a total dream right now. It can be your reality. But this is where we have to work in tandem with the Holy Spirit at work in our life. A mindset, what are you feeding yourself on daily? Are you feeding the Spirit, man? I love the illustration as I close with, that was told about a guy who feels like he has two dogs within him. And these two dogs are always fighting with each other. But the dog that always wins is the dog that is mean and evil and wicked. 
The bottom line of the story was quit feeding the evil, wicked dog and start feeding the good dog. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. The simplicity of that applies to our spirit life. If I keep feeding the flesh, making choices that are contrary to the will of God for me, then the wickedness within me is going to grow. And the flesh is going to have power and dominion over me. But instead, I don't have to be under that. I don't have that obligation. Instead, I feed the Spirit. So what are you going to do this week to, to cultivate the strength and the power of the Spirit within you? Those are the things we ought to be thinking about. It's in the disciplines of prayer and reading Scripture and the disciplines of temptation to say no to sin and yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He'll be faithful to be there as the power we need. We're not fighting on our own strength, but we need his power to live victorious lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you defeated sin at the cross. That was the whole point. We are forgiven. And the Holy Spirit was given to us each to experience daily this undefeated life we've been talking about. But we have to be willing parties. We have to be people who recognize I'm not under the obligation of the flesh any longer, but rather the power of the Spirit within me gives me all that I need to live victorious. So God, I pray we'd be people who this week begin to think about what am I doing to cultivate the Spirit of God within me, to lean into that direction of power, rather than leaning into my own flesh. So God, I pray you would speak to each of our hearts. There's things that we could maybe think of right now immediately that need to change. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would prompt our hearts, speak to us clearly the things that have got to change within us and help us to be obedient and help us to live in the power of the Spirit that we might be those victorious Christians that you have made everything possible for us to be. So help us, we pray. I pray for anybody who just feels defeated today, that God, they would just grab hold of this and begin to apply this this week, and that God, they would see the victories that you bring their way. So we thank you for it. I pray over our church, God, that we would be people who take seriously the victory you have given us. Our world needs to see that in our lives. And you've given us the resource of the Holy Spirit to do it. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.